Hey, uh, so when asked about his strengths, not Michael Porter Jr., but a man many of you are familiar with once said this. He said, well, let me tell you about my weaknesses. He said, I work too hard. I care too much. And sometimes I can be way too invested in my job. Of course, these are the humble bragging words of the great Michael Scott. See, Michael Scott, Allie, we don't have a picture of Michael Scott. Oh, that's a bummer. It was a funny picture, too. Come on, Allie. Okay, so uh, uh, Michael Scott was a man who knew no shame when it came to self-promotion and boasting about himself, right? But Michael Scott is not the only one guilty of a good humble brag. Search the internet, turn on the TV, talk to a friend, and you're bound to come across someone somewhere more than willing to slip that thing they're oh so proud of casually into the conversation, right? It's all around us. But if we're honest, it's also inside of us. I mean, I literally caught myself doing this the other day. I was talking to a friend, uh, Alex Gray, and we were talking about ridiculous things that, that we used to do as kids. And... And I proceeded to tell a story about the time in fourth grade where I intentionally failed an entrance exam to a gifted program at my school because I thought that my friends would think that I was a dork if I got in. So I'm taking this exam. I literally remember not even reading the questions, and, and I fill in the bubbles, and, and you know, the rest is history. Now, now, of course, intentionally failing an exam is, is ridiculously stupid on my part. I, I grant that. But after I, was, after I said that story, I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, there's something more going on. See, I subtly wanted Alex to know that, hey, there was a time in fourth grade that I could have been in the gifted program at Platte County Elementary School. <laughs> Pretty big deal, right? Lest some of you are thinking right now that I'm just humble bragging, I should admit that... Um, even more ridiculous is the reality that I don't think I could have passed that exam if I tried my hardest. So in reality, I was humble bragging about something that uh, realistically I never even had a chance at. How stupid, right? Why do we humble brag? Why do we, why do we boast about ourselves? I think it's in part because all of us, to one degree or another, we wrestle with pride. But I also wonder if it's more than pride. I wonder if there's something beneath pride that causes us to brag, to boast about ourselves. See, I think the reason that we do it, I think the reason that we brag is that at some level, we all have this low-key fear that we're not going to measure up to other people. We're afraid that we aren't. We're afraid that we won't be enough for others. And so what do we do? We overcompensate. We we overcompensate for our fears and we try to prove ourselves, insert the humble brag, we boast, we draw attention to ourselves. We find subtle and oftentimes not so subtle ways of saying, hey, look at me, I, I'm a big deal. Right, we do this in all sorts of ways, don't we? I mean, we casually drop our successes into our conversations, whether it's academic, job, student organizations, whatever it is. We use social media to let other people know how good we look the cool places we travel to, the great restaurants we eat at, the nice things that we have. My personal favorite, we put every student organization we've ever been a part in, regardless of what position it is and how long we've been in it, in our email signatures. 
right? So that, so that when you guys email me, it's like I read through your email signatures longer than the actual email you send me. Why do we do that? I mean, why do we do those things? We all do them, right? I brag about a fourth grade entrance exam. You see, part of being human is that at a deep level, you and I, we all want to be acknowledged, right? We want others to see us. So we boast, we humble brag, we masquerade ourselves with with an aura of, of confidence to prove to other people that we measure up. What's your confidence in? Where, where, if you're honest with yourself right now, where are you looking for your confidence? If you brought your Bibles tonight, turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, the, the verses I hope will be on the screen behind me. Um, we're continuing our series through 1 and 2 Samuel, and tonight we're looking at a passage that focuses primarily on two men, two men with great confidence, but we'll see two men that put their confidence in very different places. Now, to one extent or another, I'm sure every single person in this room, regardless of your background, is familiar with the story that we're going to look at. It's by far one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. It's become a narrative that our culture at large loves to embrace, and that, of course, is the story of David and Goliath. Let's pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sakah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim, I think, between Sakah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Now, I, I think that you probably get the point here, but, but let me help paint a picture. My, my wife and I, Noel, um, this past year, we had the opportunity to go to Israel. We spent a couple weeks uh, there, and, and while we were there, we actually went to the Valley of Elah. This is, a, this is a photo of what it looks like right now. 1 Samuel 17, it tells us that the Philistines were on one hill and the Israelites were on another. It might be difficult for you to see, but this photo in the, yeah, got it, center, kind of right-ish, there's a peak in the distance. That would have been where the Philistines set up camp. And similarly, in this photo, this is where that, that peak, kind of right there in the middle of the photo, is where the Israelites would have set up camp. And somewhere out here in the middle of the valley is where David and Goliath would eventually meet. Let's pick up the story. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, well, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed 
and terrified. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So the Philistines, they have a champion, and his name is Goliath. And this champion, Goliath, he's, he's bursting with bravado. He's not shy at all. For 40 days, he comes forward provoking taunting, challenging the best of Israel's army to, to a one-on-one, winner-take-all battle. I mean, the dude bleeds confidence. But what's his confidence in? Where does he find it? Well, for one, his size, right? I mean, verse 4 tells us that Goliath was six cubits in a span. That's roughly nine feet nine. That's how tall he was. Okay, so, so I was curious... And I started looking at the Guinness Book of World Records. The tallest man in recent history for which there's irrefutable evidence is Robert Wadlow. He was born in 1918 in Alton, Illinois. Shout out Luke. Robert, this guy was eight feet 11. Look, I mean, look at that guy. Isn't that ridiculous? Eight feet 11. It was like 100 years ago, right? Now, I want you to see this guy. And I want you to imagine a Philistine warrior almost a foot taller than that guy. Because that's how tall Goliath was. That's what he was like. I mean, he was massive. Probably a lot stronger than that guy. Physically imposing. All other people paled in comparison to his size and his strength. Not only was he huge, but he had the best, the most technologically advanced armor that the Philistines could get. So where does Goliath find his confidence? Well, of course, he finds it in himself. He finds it in the resources at his disposal, his size, his skill, his armor. And so for 40 days, this champion, he stands and he shouts at Israel, who wants me? So much bravado, so much boasting, me, 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 look at me, Goliath says. You see, Goliath's confidence, it's really just a false sense of confidence in himself and the resources that he has. And and here's the thing. It works for a while, doesn't it? I mean, like we said, for 40 days he goes out and he goes untouched. Nobody dares to fight him. He's invincible. Or so he thought. Because we all know how the story ends, don't we? You see, Goliath's false confidence eventually fails him. It eventually lets him down. In some ways, our experience is is no different. Over and over in various ways, our culture tells us to look within ourselves, to use the resources around us, to somehow muster up self-esteem, to get the confidence that we need to face whatever lies before us. So that's exactly what we do. Maybe it works for a while. But just like Goliath, it's eventually going to let us down. We know, I mean, we know this is true. This is true of our own experience, right? I mean, I know some of you came to college and you were one of the, the smartest students in your graduating class in high school, but you get to Mizzou and all of a sudden there are smarter people than you. Then what? Maybe some of you find your confidence in your humor. But what happens when you're around funnier people? 
Maybe for others of you, you find your confidence in your physical appearance, what you look like. What happens when your body gets older, heavier, stretchier? It's going to happen, people. It's going to happen. Stretchier. You watch out. See, maybe you're, oh, Justin Dirks, that is nasty. <laughs> maybe your confidence, maybe it comes from a friend group, right? You get your confidence from your friend group, but, but recently you had a falling out. Now where do you go for confidence? Maybe your social status changed when you came to college. Maybe it's going to change drastically when you graduate in two months. Then where does our confidence come from? For a lot of us, I think our confidence comes from a relationship, right? It's, it's nice to have someone that we can always rely on, someone we can go to when we feel alone and sad, or just someone we want to spend time with. What happens if you don't get that relationship? What happens if that relationship falls apart? What happens if you lose it? You see, when we buy the lie that our culture is selling, when we look within ourselves, when we look to the resources that are around us for our confidence, we're always eventually going to be let down. What are you putting your confidence in? What are you, what are you trying to prove? See, Goliath masquerades himself with this aura of, of confidence, and albeit a false sense of confidence, just to prove to both his own people, the Philistines, I mean, he's, here's this 10-foot giant. It's interesting that he feels the need to prove himself, isn't it? He has to prove himself to his own people, but he also has to prove himself to the Israelites. He's proving himself to everyone, and he's trying to prove that he measures up. So for 40 days, he screams, look at me. Is that you? I mean, it, it doesn't end, or it doesn't, it doesn't go well in the end, right? It doesn't last. See, now, I'll, I'll give you this. I'll, I'll grant this. These things can for sure give us confidence, can't they? I mean, it feels good to be funny. It's great when we look great. It's reassuring to have that relationship. But when those things don't last and our confidence runs out, what are we, we going to do? I mean, what are we going to do? Jim Elliott, he was a, a missionary. Some of you probably familiar with his story. Several years ago, and in one of his um, journals that was later published after he died, uh, he had a phrase that he wrote, and it said this. Uh, the phrase is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jim Elliott knew that there was a better place for you and I to put our confidence in instead of ourselves and the things around us. Let's pick up the story. Buckle up, because we're going to read like 20 verses. <laughs> David said to Saul, starting in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin." But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. See, King Saul was supposed to be, was supposed to be Goliath's best match. Right? Goliath's size was impressive, sure, but, but Saul was, was pretty impressive of himself. I mean, remember if you were here last week, Justin helped us to see that Saul stood a head taller than everyone else. There was no one like him in all of Israel. He was the biggest, baddest dude, and now he was Israel's king, the king that Israel wanted. Saul is who they got, and they loved him. They loved Saul at the beginning. He fought for them. He led them in victory. And now he's got another chance, another chance to be the champion of his people, to be the champion of Israel. But he sees Goliath. He hears his taunts. And what happens? He's terrified, right? In the face of darkness and terror, the great king Saul's confidence melts away. He runs and he hides. This great king of Israel, Israel's first king, the leader of his people, he runs and he hides. 
But someone has to fight Goliath, right? I mean, he can't get away with defying Israel. He can't get away with defying the armies of the living God. He can't get away with defying God. And so David, a teenager from Bethlehem, he says to his king, he says, look, if you're not going to do it, someone's got to do it. Send me. I'll go. And he does. Right now, David and Goliath, they couldn't be any different, could they? Goliath is enormous. He's protected by impressive armor. He has powerful weapons. He's got his own shield bearer, a little dude that walks in front of him to protect him. He had to be completely overpowering, seemingly invincible, right? David, on the other hand, David's just a teenager. He's, he's sorry if you're a teenager and that's offensive. Uh, he's a teenager, right? He's a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem. He wasn't impressive at all. In fact, he couldn't have looked any more vulnerable and insignificant in the face of Goliath, the Philistine champion. Where then does David find the confidence to face his fears? Where does David find the confidence to walk through that valley, to face death and dying? Well, he found it in something, rather someone outside of himself. He found it in God. See, one of the things the Bible calls us to is to face our fears with confidence. And that's why we have to ask, what is our confidence in? What is our confidence in? It really does matter. The book of Daniel, it's a, a, another Old Testament book. There, there are three Israelite, there's a story, three Israelite men are standing before this great king of Babylon. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, Babylon has kind of defeated Judah, Israel. They've carried the survivors back to Babylon. And so you've got these Israelites living in captivity and exile. And in this particular story, this, this king, he has commanded all of the Israelites to, to bow down and worship an idol, a, a gold image that he had made. And these three Israelites, they refuse, and so they're brought before the king, and the king asks, and, and they say, we're not going to do it, and he's enraged. I mean, he flies off the handle. And he says, you will worship this image. You will bow down to these gods. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a furnace. I'm going to turn the heat up. I'm going to build a fire. I'm going to throw you in it, and I'm going to laugh while you burn and die. What do they say? Yeah, no, we're not going to do it. They refuse. They say, we're not going to do that. Even if we don't come out alive, they say, even if, even if we don't live through this furnace, this fire, we're not going to give up our integrity. We're not going to sell out our God, the God of Israel, out of fear and intimidation brought by you, the Babylonian king. See, where do, you, where do you get that kind of confidence? I don't, where do you get that kind of confidence? I mean, imagine being in that position. The kind of confidence that allows you to stare your worst fear in the face. The kind of confidence that helps you walk into that valley of darkness of death, of dying. Well, you find it in the same place that David found his. See, earlier we drew attention to, to, to Goliath's bravado, to his boasting. It's interesting because David does his own fair share of boasting. But notice that his boasting is not in himself. It's not in his resources either. 
See, when King Saul finally relents and he says, okay, David, yeah, go ahead, take a shot, fight Goliath. He says, he says to David, he said, here, take, take my armor. You're going to need this. This is, this is good stuff, right? So take my armor. Take my weapons. David tries it on. He says, nah, not me. It's not going to work. doesn't fit. I'm, I'm too small. I don't want that. I can't go in these. And he says, and besides, the only armor I need, the only thing that's actually going to help me, the only thing that's going to give me a shot of winning this battle is knowing that God is on my side. Knowing that, that God is with me. And he knows that whatever the outcome, those who honor God, God will honor in the face of fear. So David looks at himself and he, he realizes, he looks within himself and he realizes these, the world's resources, they're useless. So where does David get his confidence? Well, as, as Scott Saul's a, a pastor um, in Nashville, he, he spoke at a conference for us a, a couple years ago. He says this, he says, it's ironic, but David gets the confidence to face fear from fear. What do I mean by that? What, is, what does he mean by that? Well, he means this. He means that David fears God more than he fears a giant. David fears God more than he fears the terror waiting for him in that valley. Now, fearing God doesn't mean that David is literally afraid of him. See, the only people that need to be afraid of God are those who look within themselves, look to the resources they have at their disposal for their rescue. See, David knew that he had something greater than himself. David knew that he had something greater than Goliath. David had God, the God of Israel. So David had the confidence to face his fears. He had the confidence to go into that valley because he knew one of the Bible's most repeated commands, do not fear. You see, God repeatedly says throughout the Bible, do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. Over and over and over, God says, do not fear because I am with you. It's repeated like 70 some odd times. Why, why so much? Well, I think because God knows that, that we're prone to fear. All of us are prone to fear, we're susceptible to lacking confidence, we're susceptible to being paralyzed by, by the things that we're afraid of. The Bible knows something that most of us are, are too afraid to admit, that in various ways, every single one of us is a fraud, trying to put on a good show, just to mask our fears. See, but the truth about God it gives David a better story to live for. And the truth about God gives us a better story to live for too. See, if David can face the valley of death and dying with confidence in God, with confidence that God is with him, then so can we. So can we. So, so as you're sitting there thinking, listening, what, what is that valley for you? What are, the, what are the fears maybe going through your mind right now? For some of us, it's uncertainty about the future, right? Where am I going? What am I doing? The thought after, of life after college, it, it's admittedly terrifying. 
For others, maybe it's the prospect of, of being single. Maybe it's a fear of health issues, both ourselves, people in our family. Maybe you're terrified of facing conflict with a friend or with a group of friends. Something's been going on for a long time now, and, and frankly, you've just been running from it, hiding from it. Maybe, like I said, that, that fear that you're wrestling with, that you have, is, is something that I said earlier, that you're not going to measure up to other people. You're afraid that you can't live up to other people's expectations of you. See, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend to know what it is for you, but I do know this. I do know that God promises to be with you. He promises, just like David, to walk with you into that valley. See, what might it look like for, for you to find your confidence in God in the midst of that valley instead of looking to yourself or looking to someone else or looking to your resources for your confidence. Maybe it, maybe it looks like this. Maybe, maybe it means just making a decision. What do I mean? Well, I know you guys are faced with decisions, all sorts of options all the time in college, right? Options, decisions about your future, jobs, majors, relationships, you name it, right? And here's what I see. College students a lot of times paralyzed when it comes to making decisions because they're so terrified of making the wrong decision. And so we run. We don't make any decision. That was my, frankly, it was my experience in college, particularly when I graduated because I, I've shared this before, some of you know. I had an opportunity to either go in engineering or, or to um, go into uh, ministry which obviously are, are very opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and I had people in my life that I loved, people that I respected dearly. And, and these people, they were telling me two very different things, right? And I was so afraid of letting people down, so afraid of what family might think if I chose one thing and what friends and others might think if I chose another. And so I remember just thinking to myself, God, all I want for you to do is to tell me exactly what to do. Years later, I realized that I think God just wanted me to make a decision and, and be faithful to him in the midst of that decision. Maybe finding your confidence in God in that valley means saying no to your parents. Now, of course, I'm not saying to be disrespectful. Clearly, the Bible teaches us to, to honor our parents, but... But oftentimes I see college students that are far more concerned with making mom and dad happy than trying to be faithful to God. Maybe finding, in, finding your confidence in that valley, finding confidence in God in that valley, maybe it means trusting and relying on him to provide for your needs. Maybe it means choosing a major, taking a job that pays less, than a higher paying job, a higher paying major, because you know that it's something that you really love doing. See, if your confidence is in God in that case, it's going to be easier to trust that he's going to provide for your daily needs. See, God wants to walk with you in your valleys, whatever they are. I will be with you, he says. He wants to be there. The question is, will we let him? 
Do we want to walk with God in the midst of that valley, whatever it is? 1 Samuel 17 describes Goliath as as a champion. Interestingly, that word champion, it, it literally means the man of the between, right? Champion means the man of the between. So Goliath, what does he do? He stands between the Philistines and he stands between Israel as the embodiment of, of Philistine manhood and bravado. He's the, the true Philistine. He's their representative. And in contrast to Goliath, David becomes Israel's champion. He's their man in between, their representative. You see, Israel wanted a king to fight like the nations. They wanted a king like the nations to fight like the nations, and they get Saul. But Saul is just as terrified as everyone else is. So the future of Israel, it rests on the shoulders of teenage David as he went out into the valley that day with God. Um, this might be a little bit weird, but I don't know if you can see what this is. It's a rock. I keep this rock. It's probably hard for most of you to see because it's kind of tiny from the back. I keep this rock on my desk at the crossing. Um, it was taken from this stream, which obviously there's no water in it anymore, but this is the exact stream, maybe not the exact place, but this is the exact stream in Israel that David went to where he got the five stones that would eventually be used to defeat Goliath. Why do I keep this rock, this little rock on my desk? See, a lot of people hear this story. They read this story of David and Goliath and they think the point, maybe you're thinking this right now, they think the point of this entire story is that we should all just go and be more like David, right? And so the takeaway for us becomes, this is what we think, it it becomes some version of, hey, David slays giants, you can too. Yay, right? I mean, lots of people take this message away from this passage. But hear me when I say this, nothing could be further from the point of 1 Samuel 17 than that. You see, 1 Samuel 17 is not the good news that you and I are called to be like David. No, it's the good news that you and I have a better David and Jesus Christ. One of the most famous passages in the New Testament, uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Some of you might be familiar with it. You've read it. See, in this chapter, you know that, that the great heroes of the faith are talked about. And in this chapter, it, it, this passage, it, it, it tells us things like, hey, remember Noah. Remember Abraham. Remember Moses. Remember David. There's so many more. Remember all these people, this passage says. But then it goes on to say, it says, remember all these people, but do this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That Greek word translated author of faith, it's the same word that means champion. So in other words, Hebrews 11 is telling us, remember all these people, remember David, remember them, sure. It's a great thing, remember them, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate champion, Jesus is the true champion to which David ultimately points us to. 
Music team, come back up. So, so this rock, right? I, I keep this rock on my desk. Not to remind me that I need to be like David, but that I have a better David in Jesus. You see, David saves people from physical death. Jesus saves from eternal death. David risked his life for his people. Jesus Jesus gave up his life for them. David went into that valley of darkness. Jesus went into death on the cross. And in Jesus' resurrection, Jesus becomes our champion, the one who stood between us and judgment, between us and death. And so for us, we need not fear because our champion, Jesus, he fights on our behalf. You see, in Jesus, our confidence is not, in Jesus, our confidence is not that you and I can win the battle. It's that Jesus already has. Jesus already has won the battle. So where are you looking for confidence in your life, in yourself, things around you? See, the story of David and Goliath, it invites you and invites me to put our confidence in something greater, someone greater, King Jesus.